Yeah, the, the biggest one was probably that Blake Griffin game when he dunked on Miles Golf. That was <laughs> that was my game. Yeah, that was my game. And he was just he just went ham. He dunked on Miles Golf. He did like three sixties, and he was doing everything that game. <laughs> and so that was my first. And you remember those late night games? It's like, oh man, I got a late game. It probably ain't gonna be nothing. And the Clippers <laughs> weren't good at that time, so I wasn't expecting much. And then it was just like dunk after dunk after dunk. And I was like, oh, this is really blowing up. And yeah. so that was like the most memorable memorable game. And then Mike Hill and Kevin Connors, I believe, they just made the read so much fun. I still have that highlight today. Mike Hill is my man. You know, Mike Hill was always cool. Mm-hmm. And I think Kevin Connors read the highlight. And Mike Hill was just laughing in the background. He was just like, oh, my God. Mike Hill, you know how animated he gets. So that, like, made it a real memorable highlight for me. So that's probably my biggest in a world where everybody claims to keep it 100, keeping it real, there's some people that actually do. Today's guest on Break It Through Glass Sealers with Brian H. Waters is my good friend Cassius Fleming. Cash and I worked together at ESPN, and instantly when we met, he was somebody who kept it 100, always talked about what could he do to help you get what you need how could he help you become a better production assistant a better producer in general so sit back on today's episode we discuss our times at espn he's since left uh, bristol went to charlotte then went to cbs sports and now works with spotify so i'm very excited for you guys to hear this another trip back down memory lane but I promise you'll enjoy this and you will also understand why it is important to keep it 100. All right, ladies and gentlemen, today's episode, as always, one I'm very excited for. Let me tell you why I'm excited for this one. This brother right here, when I met him at ESPN, I'm gonna just simply say he was one of the realest people and not somebody that would just instantly go, you know, run and yell and hear, make sure his voice was heard. But he was somebody that you could simply sit down, talk to, have a conversation, and he would understand and listen to where you was coming from. And that is my good brother, Cassius Fleming. Cash, what up, bro? Yo, what's up, man? I appreciate that, man. I appreciate the kind words, you know, flattering. <laughs> <laughs> man, you know, I appreciate you coming on. Um, you know, like I said, you know, we met around, I think it was around 2014 when I went switched over to the highlight section and got a chance to actually be in the screening area. And, you know, like I said, in the intro, man, you just like was always one of the realest people, you know, shout out to you, Kahar, DeVry, you know, and it's a host of others, but like, you know, it was always, um, you know, it was always fun working with you. When I saw you was in the office or I should say in screening, I knew it was going to be a good night. Yeah, man, those are, you know, sometimes you work so many hours and you were grinding so much that you have to have some kind of fun and kind of relief, but also, you know, build bonds with people. You know, that's one of the things that I've always thought was important in this industry as well. Yeah, man. So let me ask you this. You, you know, you're from New York. When did you decide to uh, get into broadcast journalism and why did you choose Delaware State University? Yeah, I think, you know, it all starts out, I think when we're young, we all have hoop dreams of some kind of sort, you know, and want to make the, the league or the NFL. So I've always been a sports fan in general. Um, I think once you get to a point where you realize, okay, I really ain't going to make the league, you know, I want to be involved in sports to some capacity. And so, you know, when you really think about it, when we're young, and when you look at, like, debate shows today, like, we've all been on debate shows, right? Because mm-hmm. when you're in school in elementary, at homeroom, you're talking about the game last night. You know, AI had 40, T Mac had 50. Like, we did that every single day. So I'm at the cafeteria arguing about sports. I'm at homeroom arguing about sports. Like, that's what we did naturally. And so for me, when I got to college, it was like, okay, I know I want to be a broadcaster. Like, I was watching ESPN 24 7. I love Stephen A. Smith. I love. You know, Chris Broussard and Stu Scott, rest in peace, and all those guys. So I kind of I, I idolized those dudes. So I kind of wanted to work towards that. So really, I wanted to be a journalist at first. And, and I'll say I'm not proud of the way I started my college career, to be honest with you, because I was in print journalism at first. 
And I can remember vividly the very first class I had, and the teacher was kind of going through the syllabus, and she was talking about what the class was going to be about. And she was like, yo, we're going to write X amount of papers, X amount of pages. And I looked at this dude. I didn't know him at the time. We friends now, but I looked at him. I was like, yo, I ain't doing that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I, I actually got out of print and went to broadcast. I was like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. So broadcast worked out for me, but, you know, I feel bad that I didn't stick with print because it's like, yo, know, I, I ran away because it's perceived to be too much work. But, you know, in terms of broadcast, like I worked at the school radio station, worked at the television station. I did a couple basketball games from a commentary standpoint, worked for the school paper, was a sports journalist, um, actually sports, um, sports editor my senior year. So I kind of dabbled in everything. So broadcast is really just the right path for me. Okay. And real quick, can you um what made you choose Delaware State? Yeah, you know, I had applied to a lot of HBCUs at the time. And um I didn't know much about Delaware State at the time, but I went on a visit and you know, the visit it felt good. Like the vibes were just kinda cool. And I remember my mother, we had driven, I forgot, we drove down south one time and you know, New York, we passed in Delaware. And she had screamed out, said, oh, there, there goes your school. And she was joking at the time, you know, because I had really, hadn't even really applied or was just looking at everything. And so we actually went on a visit later, and I just liked the vibes. You know, like I kind of clicked with a lot of people that was there, even though some of them didn't, you know, come back. But it just felt comfortable. It just felt right, you know. And some schools I didn't get accepted to. So some of it was like, okay, I didn't get into this school or that school. I just thought Delaware was good. It was close enough to New York where it was like, you know, I can drive, you know, three hours, four hours, whatever that, that ride was. So that's, I just felt good. And just being at HBCU, I think, for me, was just the right decision. Now, when you was there, did you um, get to cover anything cool or something that really stood out to help you prepare for your next step in your journey? Yeah, I think one thing, I remember one of my teachers, he, he did ask me to cover a baseball game one time. And I'm not the biggest baseball guy in terms of doing commentary. And I almost kind of shy away, like, nah, I'm not going to do it. But I was like, you know what? I got to take a chance. Like, I, I want to be in sports. I can't just like the sports of basketball and football. I've got to kind of expand my mind, expand my repertoire if that's what I want to do. If I want to work at ESPN one day, which we'll get to, but it's like I can't just be focused on one or two sports. So I kind of got out of my comfort zone with some of that kind of stuff. So I did baseball. I looked into, like, tennis and all those kind of different things. So I tried to stay well-rounded and kind of cover all my bases. Okay. Now, when you started uh, covering the baseball games, did it make you somewhat start becoming a bigger fan? You know, um, you're a Yankee fan, right? Yes, yeah, so I've always been a baseball fan. Would I, be, okay. would I call myself an expert in baseball? No. You know, I'm not an expert in it. You know, being a Yankee fan in the Bronx, you know, it's just like, yo, we wake up and we in the World Series. So right. That's what I remember growing up. You know what I mean? It was like, I'm not watching, you know, every single game, but I know, you know, once that postseason come, you know, we're going to have a parade. <laughs> you know, that's just how you felt in the Bronx. So when I was calling games, like, yeah, I knew a little bit about the game and everything like that, but I wasn't an expert in it. So I had to get comfortable with doing something, you know, out of the box, you know? Yeah, you you said you know you guys uh, wake up in a parade. Did you get a chance to go to any of them? Um, what, they have about what five five of them in your lifetime, right? So did you go to any of them? Yeah, you know what? I don't remember as a kid going to any really. I was so deep in the Bronx going down there. It probably would have been too hectic, honestly. And I was so young at the time. I'm sure my mother didn't want me down there, kind of wilding out in the parade. <laughs> but you know, it was always just fun in the neighborhood. <laughs> you know, always Yankee fitters all around and people cheering and celebrating. So that was always a big thing. Yeah, well, I'd put it like this. You being a Yankee fan, me being an Oriole fan, I know you're an Oakland Raiders fan. I'll trade you my two Ravens championships for the one of those Yankees championships for the Orioles. Yeah. <laughs> look, I mean, look, the, the Ravens thing, sometimes I wish I would have been a Giants fan, but, you know, it is what it is. I don't switch. I'm not going to switch up now, so. Hey man, I, I give you credit. Uh, you loyal, um, especially you know with the Knicks. I know a lot of times. Uh, I think now may be accepted if people decide to leave the Knicks, um, and even you know for the Raiders, it was looking like that as well. But um, you know, I, I, like I said, I, one of the things I can appreciate you saying is uh, just 
we always debated sports. You know, we had unofficial debate shows every day in elementary school, you know, and I never really thought about it like that. But before it was put on TV, that's exactly what it was like growing up in school. Um, any sports fan would tell you, you know, you went to school, you argue. I would tell people all the time, uh, rest in peace, Kobe Bryant, my favorite player of all time. I didn't appreciate Allen Iverson the way I should have because I was so mm. busy defending Kobe. Uh, the same with Michael Vick. I was a Donovan McNabb fan at the time. So right. I didn't get a chance to appreciate him as much as I should have. So I, I feel like in my adult life, I'm doing better with, uh, say, a Patrick Mahomes versus a Lamar Jackson, you know? Yeah, I think that's one of the things, you know, we can always give credit to people without tearing someone else down, you know? And I think mm -hmm. that, I think Kobe passing RIP, I think that kind of woke a lot of people up. Even though, look, debating who's better player, I think is always going to be fun. That's yeah. just fun and entertaining for television, and it's okay to do it sometimes. But sometimes you go too far. You know, yeah. like, even I had to catch myself a few times. Like, yeah, I'm really hating on, you know, I'm a broad fan. At the time, I'm, I'm really hating on Kobe. And I'm like, nah, I love Kobe. You know, I grew mm -hmm. up watching Kobe from, from, from adolescence. So, you know, I think we've learned, we're learning now. You don't have to tear someone else down. You can have a healthy debate. You don't have to get angry or get mad at somebody's different opinion. But you see, that's how, like, NBA Twitter is. People are ready to fight and throw down you know, for their favorite players. And I had to check myself, like, what am I doing arguing about this? They don't make no sense. You know, it's fun if it's respectful and it's cool, but sometimes mm -hmm. it goes too far. Yeah. Uh, and let me ask you this. You, you said, because, I, you know, one thing I always knew, you know, how much of a uh, huge of a LeBron fan you were. He was one of the people mm -hmm. that I could have been in that, wouldn't have been able to appreciate him as much. I'm going to be honest with you. I think when he went back to Cleveland and seeing that, drive and he finally winning that championship that made me appreciate him more as opposed to heat lebron but mm. when you saw kobe post the um when lebron went to the lakers and you saw kobe kind of give him the um the rite of passage you know he he mm. welcomed him to the family did that help you kind of understand and you know obviously kobe's retired now but that kind did that help you in any way as far as what you said is appreciating people for their talents without breaking down somebody else? Yeah, it definitely, it definitely did in some ways. Look, I, I didn't think that those guys were enemies or anything like that, mm -hmm. but just in the debate show climate and just the climate where everybody just gets off their quick reactions about everything, you're just not really able to appreciate anything anymore. And so when I saw that from Kobe, I'm like, yeah, that's really dope. Like, they could be like two black men to beat each other up and it doesn't have to threaten anybody's legacy or anybody's greatness. You know, you can be great in your own right. Kobe can be great in his own right. MJ could be great in his own right. Look, GOAT debates are fun, and they're going to continue. GOAT debates are always going to continue, but everybody can be a GOAT in their own right, or you can have your opinion about who a GOAT is. But I think it definitely woke me up a little bit to say, you know what, I don't have to tear someone else down or criticize this game versus that game, or he's better because of this. You don't have to do that anymore. We can acknowledge... I like Kobe. I like LeBron. I favor LeBron for these reasons, but Kobe's dope. You know, rest in peace. So that's just how I feel about it now. Yeah. So now, you know, we, um, you, you leave, I mean, you graduate from college. Is ESPN, your, you know, your, the first stop of your career? Yeah, that definitely was. Yep. Okay. Can you talk about how you, uh, the process on landing the job, you know, the interview process or how'd you find out about the job? Did you apply? Or did you have, um, help with like a NABJ convention or anything? Yeah. So the story is, is actually kind of crazy. I had done an internship with, um, TV one that used to power black planet back in the day. Mm -hmm. So I had that internship in, in high school. And I remember one day, <clears throat> one of my dudes, um, he was a mentor to me. I was talking to him one day about, you know, I want to work at ESPN. This is my dream. And he had actually, I think he went to school with Marcellus Wiley. And so, matter of fact, a crazy backstory about my mentor is he was actually on BET Uncut before. The song White Girls, MC <laughs> Wiley Casey. Yeah, I it's, think it's, I remember. Say it's a crazy. Yeah, it's a crazy. BET Uncut, you look it up. It's on YouTube. But that's my <laughs> man. And so I was just talking to him one day, just like, hey, man, you know, I really want to get to ESPN. I'm trying to find ways. And he was like, yo, just email Marcellus Wiley and see what happens. So I'm like, you know, I email Marcellus Wiley. I mean, he's not going to answer. He's on, he's a former pro. He's on ESPN every day. Who, who, who am I? You know, but he actually did respond. 
he was like, yo, send me a resume. So I sent him my resume. I'm like, yo, this, this is real. And so I think I had got a call back from somebody at ESPN, and they told me to apply for a position. I applied. And then the line communication just kind of went dead. And then I was like, damn, I guess my, my opportunity is over. What happened? I couldn't get in contact with them, didn't respond, nothing. So months later, I did go to the NABJ convention. And so I went to the ESPN recruitment table, and I was like, hey, I applied for this position. I spoke to so-and-so. And I'll be honest with you, my first interview at NABJ was a disaster. It was really bad. My resume was bad. It had a bunch of errors in it. It had, like, misspellings in it. I was nervous. I was shaking. And what year is this? This was 2010. This was oh. 2010. Okay. What's the yeah. location? Where was uh, NABJ that year? San Diego. San Diego, okay. if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Yeah. And so she tore my resume apart. She was like, this is wrong. This this ain't good. What do you mean this? Why do you want to work for ESP? I can't answer nothing. So I was I was hurt. I'm like, yo, it's over. <laughs> like I just blew my opportunity. But I kind of gathered myself up. I fixed everything I needed to fix. And really the way that I got in was I kept seeing her in the convention. And I just kept going up to her. And I was just kind of like, hey, remember me? So I kind of used a bad experience to be memorable, if that makes sense. So every time I saw her, I kept like, hey, Ruby, you kind of shredded my resume. You threw it up. She was like, oh, yeah, how you doing? So I just kept seeing her, and I just kept reminding her, reminding her. Like, Here's my new resume. Hey, I love this. And eventually, you know, she was just like, damn, this dude is persistent. And she was like, yo, you know, I like you. I like that you're persistent. You know, you fixed your mistakes. You corrected them. You didn't kind of fold away. And, um, <clears throat> you know, she kind of funneled me through into the, the pool of candidates for the PA program, and then I had an interview, I think about a few weeks or a month later after NABJ, and then I killed that interview, and then I got off the position, so it just worked out that way. Wow, man. I think it's important. Yeah, wow, you're breaking up. And made it work for you. Yeah, can you hear me? Yo. Yeah, you broke up for a minute. I'm sorry. Yeah, keep... I didn't have to edit it. My bad. Oh, okay. All right. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Yep. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I think what was great about this is you took something that could have been bad, quite frankly. You could have said, you know, I don't want to see her. You could have avoided her because a lot of times people can't take constructive criticism. So when that happens, yeah. they, they fold. But you made sure she remembered who you was. So, yeah, I think that was cool. Um, so how how long did you have to wait? NABJ was around August that year, July, August? I think it was, it was definitely August. So I think late August I did the interview okay. and I started in September. September 20th to be oh. exact. I always remember that day. So. Okay, wow. So, yeah, it's funny. So my date was September 9th, but mine's the same thing. Mine's was 2013, though but it was in uh, Orlando. So, yeah, you know, but it was definitely that NABJ influx. Uh, for me, it, for, with my class, it was me and uh, Wes Remsen had both uh, from the NABJ that year. So I now remember. you... Yeah, yeah. So now you get there. Would, do you remember your first um, assignment in rotation? I think it was just logging for a while okay. and just kind of figuring that kind of flow out. Okay. Can you talk about that part? Um, you was just so you just logging. Uh, was it just the games and stuff? Yeah, I started logging. I, I was logging pretty much. It wasn't even like real games yet. They had me log like arena football and just stuff like really obscure, different kind of sports at the time. So I wasn't logging any big game MLB, NBA, or NFL things. Mm-hmm. But they, you know, I think they just kind of wanted me to get a cadence in the field for just logging with some of the software that they use over there. So that was uh, different. It was boring at first, I think, for anybody, because you're like, when am I going to get into the action? When am I going to start <clears throat> doing some of the big stuff? So that was kind of like my first experience there. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool that they had you do that that way, though, because you're not thrown into the fire. I know for me, my first time logging was my first highlight. <laughs> So I wasn't even oh, sure. Really? About, 
Yeah, um, you know, my, yeah, my first high, and I didn't come into highlights until March 2014, and my first game was maybe February, and my my first game was Lakers Blazers, and this was when Kobe was hurt, and mm. you know, granted we um we shadowed somebody three times, like we did three shadow uh, shifts, and then we got thrown into a game, but yeah, I so that. I had to figure out how to log on the job. Yeah, you know, they really accelerated the pace after a while. But when I first started, there were so many veteran PAs out there and APs, there was mm-hmm. no rush for you to just jump in. So it was a real slow process. We're just going to kind of walk you down slowly, and then we're going to just kind of let you progress time and time. Okay, so now, you know what, that makes sense, though. Uh, and, and you also figure... When I started, it was the year, well, I started about a month or two after Fox Sports 1 had launched. So from what I heard that they Fox Sports had came and took a lot of people. They definitely did. They definitely did. <laughs> Were you tempted to go? I mean, I definitely applied for sure. Okay. I don't lie about that. It was L.A. You know, yeah. no disrespect to Connecticut, but it was L.A. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to live in L.A. L.A. is nice, nice weather. You know, so I definitely did apply, but I, I didn't get picked. Of course, I stayed. But yeah, a lot of people had left at that time. Yeah. Now, look, before we really start getting into what you did, I remember you know earlier you mentioned uh, looking up to people like Stephen A. Smith, Chris Broussard, Stuart Scott. Did you get a, a chance to meet them within your first year, or did that take some time down the line? Chris Broussard, actually, who's still actually a good friend and mentor today. I met him back in college, actually. There was some connection that a professor had to him, and he came to our broadcast class one day my senior year. And I had spoken to him a little bit. I was a bit shy. You know, I'm a laid-back kind of dude. I was like, yeah, that's Chris Broussard. I'm kind of shy. I don't, you know. But um, I had spoken to him. He was cool. And then he's actually got a good memory because then I saw him in the green room. You know the green room used to be there. People used to be there before a show started. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, Chris, you might not remember me, but, you know, I met you at Delaware State. And, you know, we, we kind of just built a, a, a relationship from there. So he's probably the biggest person that I've built relationships with. I mean, I, I've set it up to Stephen A a few times, of course. Stu Scott, you know, you hand him your first shot sheet. That's always a crazy experience, seeing him live and doing his thing live. So, you know, those things were cool. Probably for Chris Berman, it was always, you know, fun and stuff like that. But Chris was probably the biggest person. I've built a, a real relationship with. Okay. Yeah, it's um it's definitely like you said, we're fortunate. You know, we we see a lot of people that we meet throughout the years who when they find out you worked at ESPN, they will say, like, oh, well, did you ever get a chance to meet this one? You ever get a chance to meet that one? And then, you know, when you do say, like, hey, you know, yeah, I met Stuart Scott, rest in peace. Yeah, you know, like you said, I think you you just hit it right on the head. That that first time you handed him that shot sheet is an experience, especially, you know, what he means to the culture. Exactly. I mean, he paved the way for everyone, for, for yeah. a lot of us. So you always got to pay homage. Yeah. Did you ever get a chance to, uh, you ever get a chance to like really sit down and talk with like Stephen A or Skip when he was there? Like during the first take, like when first take was at his height? Not really, but you know, one thing about Skip, Skip is actually really cool. Like, I know a, a lot of people kill him for, for a lot of things and stuff like that, but Skip used to come say what up to me. And yeah. I was like, I was like, yo, I, I had to look around. Like, you talking to me? I'm just a PA. But he was cool like that. He was just like, yo, good morning. How you doing? I was like, yo, what's up? I'm chilling. So I, I spoke to him a couple times. He didn't really go in depth too much. Like, I wish I could have spoke a little bit more about sports with him, but he, he was dope. He was cool. But that's really the, the depth of my conversation where at least Skip Stephen A, honestly. Yeah, you know, I, I tell people that all the time. People don't like to believe me when I say it. Um, I, I, I'm a huge Skip Bayless fan. Um, one of the things, and we really see it right now at the time of this recording, you know, it's the we're dealing with a lot of social injustices. And he's been very outspoken about it because he'll tell you he grew up, you know, practically raised by a black woman. And when I... Um, I didn't know I was, that. I actually didn't know that. Yeah, he, he, um, him and Shannon Sharp had a good conversation about it and he talks about the um you know he says he said straight up his mother was a train wreck and his grandmother was working and i think the lady who worked for his grandmother he met her and 
she took him to a black church and he said he never felt more love than being in a black church. And the reason why he felt that the black church welcomed him with open arms because he was the only white kid in there and they knew what it was like to feel like to be the only person of your color in another environment. So yeah, he, it's a, it's a real good conversation. You know, they clipped, I believe it's clipped off on uh, Shannon Sharp's Instagram or the undisputed Instagram, but I know uh, I used to, one day, you remember I was, when I was working on Mike and Mike in the morning, it would come on after first take. So every day, Skip would do his own makeup around 9.45. And I went yeah, in I there. Uh, yeah, and I went in the restroom one day and I was talking to him and, you know, he we spoke and I said, can I ask you a question? And he said, sure. And at the time, you know, y'all used to kill me about loving the Cowboys and the Ravens. Um, but <laughs> yeah, between, you know, but you know, Magadak has definitely turned me off uh, to the Cowboys. I don't hate them, but I don't, you know, I can't like I don't get emotionally attached to them the way I used to. But mm. I asked him about it, and he told me he said, "Well, I have no problem with that." And he under like he broke it down. He said, "I mean, how could you not like?" It? And it was like he was in TV mode. He said, "How could you not like him? Those colors, the star in the helmet, Emmett Smith, Michael Irvin." And I was just like. Man, Skip Bayless said I can like the Cowboys and Raiders. I don't want to hear nothing from nobody. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, he was and then you know, I would see him again and he would always speak. And and that was the thing, like what people don't understand. That's always one of the big questions. What's Skip like? What's Skip like? You know, so I could always appreciate that. I know Wes said he had a chance to talk basketball with him one time and he thought it was like the greatest thing in the world. Yeah, I mean Skip it was just it was cool, you know, just talking to him. You know, it was just cool that he you know, reached out first. You know, yeah. I, I respect that. I respect because not a lot of people do that. You know, look, I don't know everything about him. You know, I wasn't best friends with him, but I thought that was just, you know, worthy and respectful, you know? Yeah, you know, and I think it's really cool. We had, um, you know, I know it was quite a few people that who were on-air talent, but never acted like production people were below them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, what was your next assignment? Did you jump right in the highlights after um, login? Yeah, yeah, went straight to highlights. Went straight to highlights after that. Okay. Do you have any highlights that you remember that like really stuck out, or one that you was like really proud of? Yeah, the, the biggest one was probably that Blake Griffin game when he dunked on Miles Golf. <laughs> that was that was my game. Yeah, that was my game. And he would just—he just went ham. He dunked a Moscow. He did like three sixties, and he was doing everything that game. <laughs> and so that was my first. And you remember those late night games? It's like, oh man, I got a late game. It probably ain't gonna be nothing. And the Clippers <laughs> weren't good at that time, so I wasn't expecting much. And then it was just like dunk after dunk after dunk, and I was like, oh, this is really blowing up. And yeah. so that was like the most memorable memorable game. And then Mike Hill. And Kevin Connors, I believe, they just made the read so much fun. I still have that highlight today. Mike Hill is my man. You know, Mike Hill was always cool. Mm-hmm. And I think Kevin Connors read the highlight. And Mike Hill was just laughing in the background. He was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> Mike Hill, you know how animated he gets. So that, like, made it a real memorable highlight for me. So that's probably my biggest one. Yeah. And see, I missed out on Mike Hill. I heard a lot of great things about him. But by the time I got there, he was gone. Yeah, Mike Mike was definitely cool. I used to prompt for him, prompt for him on the Highlight Express a few times, but he, he was he was always a good dude. That's that's the man right there. Yeah. Now, when you um did you like I hated highlights. I ain't gonna lie to you. Did you enjoy it or you rather have done something else? Um some days it was great, some days it was it was tough. I think okay. when you have a good game, it was always good. Mm-hmm. It was always fun to do a good game. Sometimes it was bad because it blew up so much that you had to cut like four or five versions of it for Sports Center and then the specialty shows and then the late Sports Center. So that was probably the most frustrating part. And then if it was a late game or it went into overtime, I didn't like that. I didn't like when baseball went into extra innings because I wanted to go home. I was so tired. I didn't like those things. But I did enjoy highlights because I was able to tell a story through my lens mm-hmm. the way I wanted to do it. Way I wanted, I really, my thing was I'd like to break down games from a real, 
you know, a real analytical standpoint. So I was always looking at rebounds and assists and who did what and, you know, record-breaking moments and stuff like that. So that's why I enjoyed it for me. Okay, see. And, you know, that's good. Like, I think I always said, because I got in the highlights in March and I was out by June. And I've told people as much as I love baseball, I probably would have hated it had I stayed in highlights that whole season because I just got so annoyed with it. And like you said, just those extra inning games will kill you. Man, I look, I remember one game, I forgot, I remember I think it was the Pirates, and that drink went to like 18, 19, and I was just there miserable. And, you know, and, and at that time, you still had to log the game. So you had to go do the highlights and come back and log everything that you missed. And I was there till like probably 2, 3 a.m., seriously. And I, I was just it. sick. And I was just like, man, I hate, I hate these extra inning games. And that's when the highlights was really tough at those times, especially with baseball. It was rough. I liked the games where it was just a 2 0. Somebody hit a home run. I could get a nice defensive play in and I'm out. Mm-hmm. So that's the highlights I loved. I wanted to do. Yeah, man. Those days. And, and see, with me, I had got uh, shin splints around um, the summer or spring of 2014. And there was a highlight. I'll never forget. It was the Twins and the Yankees. No, Twins and the Dodgers were playing. And for some reason, the game went into, like, extra innings. And it ran up against where it had to air on baseball tonight. And um sports center at the same time and shout out to um shout out to blake i can't remember his last name right now but he took the highlight to the sports center but i had to run it all the way and you know this is an old screening we had to really run downstairs and around the corner i had to run the highlight to him to get it to them just in time and it was the worst yeah thankfully uh i got highly skilled on my report and i think that was the thing i used to hate about it because I would have a good night and then they wouldn't give me a a quote unquote report card, which they used to give people for those who do not understand. It would be like Mm. a report on how well your highlight, how well you did on your highlight that night, but let me mess up. Oh, I was getting all types of, um, you know, unskilled or whatever the worst grades you could get. Right. (laughs) So, but uh, what else did you do while you were there? Yeah. So after highlights, I worked on NBA tonight. I worked on NFL primetime. Those are probably the two biggest shows that I did, but I was a staple in both of those for a while. So I think that was cool, just being able to focus on one sport and one show. My creativity kind of began to shine through in terms of making content, in terms of segments, in terms of creating montages, in terms of creating, you know, just all of those kind of different things and elements. So that was probably like my biggest highlights there. Okay. Now, did you get a chance to do any event or were you always in the studio? I was always in the studio, man. That's one thing I regret. I wish I would have been more vocal about getting a chance to travel and do different things, mm-hmm. but I never got a chance to do it. I'm trying to think if there was anything that I did that I can't think. I, mean, I never got to travel anywhere, to be honest. I never did. So that that's probably one part that I, I missed out on. Okay. Yeah, the only place literally I, I went to... Um... I went to social media my last seven months and had I started in social media, I probably would have stayed at ESPN a little bit longer. It was like my favorite, but the only place I got to travel to was the barbershop. If you remember, they did a segment. Um, it was during the first, after game one of the first series of the um, Cavs Warriors. And they did like a recap on it. And, you know, I got a chance to go. Rob King was there. And I really just, to be honest with you, <laughs> I went because I was the black person on the team. And and shout out to Steve Brayban. He kept it real. He said, look, we, we need somebody black who really could understand how a barbershop content should be produced. For sure. For sure. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> but it was cool, you know. Um, but... You know, like, what was the experience like with NFL primetime? Because, you know, the NFL season is so intense. And I know from a Mike and Mike standpoint, when the season was over, I was exhausted. I was there the year that the um, uh, Russell Wilson threw that bogus interception during the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. But um, what was it like for you? Because 
I was sitting there knowing that I had to watch the games on Sunday just so that my Monday would be easier. Now, I can imagine from you actually putting together a full NFL show. How was that? Yeah, so on Sundays, I would come in around, I feel like I'd be there from 12 to about 8 every day. So I kind of had to keep an eye on every single game, what was going on, the biggest storylines, take notes. Then I had to run over to building four, I want to say. That's where all the players and everybody and the analysts used to stay. And I had to go talk to, usually it was Merrill Hodge and my man Tim Hasselback on the show. And I had to kind of gather what their biggest thoughts were, what kind of breakdown tapes that they wanted to do. And so that was my primary thing on Sundays. I used to prep kind of all of that stuff. And then Mondays, I used to have to be in around 6 a.m. because the show was usually at 1 so I used to get in at six, cut a few breakdown tapes, go with the editor, do those. And then we had to do the highlights. And remember, we had to do special highlights because we have different elements, different transitions. We have, it was a deep dive pretty much. So it wasn't just always taking the sports center version. Sometimes we had to tweak because I remember Sundays, the PAs on sports center used to cut NFL primetime highlights, but a lot of times we had to reconfigure a lot of those. Remember transitions, highlight tapes. We had to, the analyst might want to point something out. We had to do different plays. So a lot of times those highlights kind of got scrapped. So it was probably only like three or four highlights that stayed, and then we had to switch switch out a whole bunch of other ones. So that was a lot. But I love NFL so much, it didn't really bother me. I lived for it, and I think just being around former players that made the experience fun. And learning, because I, I got to learn a lot. You know, we always talk about sports and we can debate and do our things, but we really, a lot of us don't really know crap. <laughs> you know, I didn't know as much as I thought I did about the NFL until I sat with Merrill Hodge and I sat with Tim Hasselback and he's reading defenses in front of me. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. And he's talking about routes and they're talking about the play calling and formations and all those kind of things. So I got a real in-depth look at how some of that stuff worked. And that kind of just pushed me throughout the season to just kind of keep it going. I mean, it was tired. A lot of tired days that Sunday, Monday was rough, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah, man. I think that's the beauty about working with people who actually played the game. You getting that insight that you can't get anywhere else. Did Was exactly. there any of your other favorite um, players that you work with? Let's see. Well, Flip Saunders, rest in peace, or NBA Tonight, Flip Saunders was really cool. And he he showed me a lot about NBA and basketball. He also told me, like, great stories about KG and stuff like that. So that stuff was always fun. In fact, actually, he was – he had – he almost he, – he had put me on his radar to go work for the Timberwolves when he left. It mm-hmm. never came to fruition, of course. But, like, that's how close we were. He was like, yo, I got you on a, a short list. Once I get into the Timberwolves, I might have you come through and do something. But it never happened, unfortunately. And then, you know, he passed away, which was trash. But um, I liked working with him. Avery Johnson, when he was there, was cool. Antonio Davis was really, really cool. Chris Mullen was cool on NBA Tonight. So there's a lot of guys. Those are some of the ones that stick out on top of my head. Oh, okay. Now, um, <laughs> you brought up Antonio Davis. Um a couple weeks ago, I had DeVry Smothers, a good brother, um, and we talked about the basketball days at ESPN. Mm-hmm. And I remember, man, when you joined our team, I honestly, I ain't going to lie to you, I felt you was the missing piece. I was like, oh, man, we got cash. And I, I know you a humble dude, but I felt that, you know, for me personally, it was – I had that made me humble myself because I realized, okay – I can't move around the way I used to. Great, I was only 28 as opposed to being um, 33. But I was like, man, you know, I, I knew what my, my mind, my mind wanted to like run this fast, but my body couldn't. Uh, and I was able, you know, I, I realized, okay, my role is going to be to take the, keep the fouls off Bache. If Bache and me and him are close to the play, I'll raise my hand and try to take the fouls and keep them in the game. You came in and you always had like a, a smoothness to your game. You know, when did, um, would you play on another team before that? Like, how did you get recruited officially? 
to, yeah, to play for, yeah, I, for, I was playing on another team. I forgot who it was, but they weren't good, no disrespect. But I always used to hoop on, because um, remember they had the, the overruns. Yeah. Was like Tuesdays at 12. So I used to hoop with uh-huh. Ra and, and Kalo and the rest of the crew. And I was like, damn, I want to play with y'all. Like, y'all, y'all are dope. It was fun. And so that's how I think. I forgot who I spoke to. And I was just like, yeah, I just want to join you. I just want to run with y'all. And it's just, it'd be dope. And I think the one thing that sticks out is that I think it was a it wasn't a championship game, but it was one game, and I had highlights that day early, and I was so sick because I couldn't come to the game. I think y'all lost, and I was yep. like, damn, I wanted to play. I was so hurt because we were killing that. I remember that season, like, we was kind of killing it in the, in the rec league, and I was, I was upset, man. I had to work that day, and I was just like, damn. I, I was tight. But, yeah, I just loved hooping with y'all, man. It was fun. Yeah, it was – um. You know, and I, cause I remember one game, I think, was that the year we was, um, I think that was the year we was six oh and one or two. <laughs> and, and, and cause I remember my daughter was born. And so when I came back, I was like, you know, well, she was supposed to come that Friday. She didn't come till that Saturday. But I remember talking when I came back, I was like, yo, did we win? Did we win? And it, it, I don't even think it was a playoff game. It was just a regular season game. And they said that we had a uh, tie. But I think that might have it might have been the playoff game that you missed that. It was. It definitely was. I remember that vividly, man. Okay, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And, and I think and I know we had another one where I was told the ride and I, th- I think you may have been on this team when we got to the championship and we lost because I actually had the championship belt in my book bag. I had brought one of my wrestling belts in my gear bag to celebrate, you know, that way we could take the picture. <laughs> I remember that photo. I do remember that photo. Yeah, did you um, did you uh, did you get a chance to hoop with any former players? I did not, but I heard like a few guys got out there before. I forgot who, but I know a few guys from ESPN used to be hooping out there. I never got a chance to though. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to either. I know I, uh, Kyle uh, Reether, He had posted one time on Snapchat that he had just hooped with Anthony Dave, Anthony Dave, Antonio Davis one time. And then I heard Chauncey Billups had hooped a couple of times too. I heard that. Yeah, I did hear some stories about Chauncey hooping. I did hear that too. Yeah, one time, man. Um, I was working uh, with uh, Bruce Bowen, and we was getting ready for. Uh, I was in social media. It was me and um, one of our former colleagues, and he said he told Bruce Bowen that James um, James Harden was good at defense. And Bruce was like, what? And he said, no, no, no. And you know how sometimes people get to talking real fast? And he said the same thing. And, and just like you said, it takes you back to, like, you can think you know one thing about sports, but then when you sit down and talk to these players who did this professionally, you realize how much you don't know. It's a different game, yo. A whole different ball game. <laughs> so after um, ESPN, man, uh, well, I should say, what was it? Um, you know, obviously you, you – you enjoyed your time there, but when did you realize, you know, it was time to move on to uh, b- bigger and better things? Yeah, I think I, I became stagnant after a while. You know, I was there for six years. Early on, you know, I felt like there was promise there, but I was kind of just treading water after a while, and I didn't get promoted to AP. When I remember I went to the Charlotte office in my last year. So I was in Charlotte for like a year, mm-hmm. and I remember just grinding. I'm thinking, okay, I've been here you know, five, six years, I'm going to get this AP spot, and then we can continue. It, it never happened, you know? And then I just began to trade water, and I was just doing the same things, and I wasn't able to kind of grow and spread my wings. I was ready to do different things. I had a lot of ideas that just kind of, I felt like I wasn't being heard. And so after a while, I was like, you know, it's just time to move on. You know, it's time to do something different, to get that promotion that I wanted. And... um you know, throw my hand, you know, throw my hand in the pot or something different. You know, I want to take a chance, you know? Yeah. Now, um, before we, you know, get to CBS, you said you had went to Charlotte, which is crazy. I, I forgot about it. Even though I, now, you know, I specifically remember you coming to the uh, gym one day right before you had uh, moved. What was yep. that process like? Uh, just, you know, uprooting from Connecticut going to Charlotte, obviously getting better weather, but still, you know, still being in the same company. What was the process like? So, I mean, I loved it. <laughs> you know, yeah. the, the setup for the relocation was cool. You know, you get okay. all that relocation money and all that kind of stuff. You know, Charlotte was fun. 
I can actually go to do things after work. I can go to a game. I can, you know, like the Hornets Arena wasn't too far from where we worked at. It was like a good 20 minutes away. The nightlife was just better. Even though I was close to New York, but of course on weekends and stuff, you couldn't really do nothing. But it, it was fun. Now, in terms of office, it was different because you had to readjust all over again because none of these people really know you. Yeah, you've been with a company that long, but they don't know your work ethic. They don't know what you know how to do. They don't know who you really are. They can get stuff through the grapevine. So I had to kind of relearn everybody, prove myself somewhat again that, okay, this is how I work, this is who I am, and gain trust from some of the producers and CPs that were there. So that was a tedious part, but once you've been in the system so long, it's like, yo, I showed them relatively quickly that I know how to do things. But, you know, the transition wasn't that bad, but it is. it was different. Going down there, I was specifically told, yo, this ain't Bristol. And I was like, damn, what I mean? Like, yo, we just do things differently down here. And it was a different type of atmosphere. And so that was probably the one adjustment. But other than that, it was great. Okay. Man, so now, you know, you decided to move on to CBS. What was that experience like? And what would you doing now as an AP? Yeah, so CBS, when I got there, I was put on <clears> – <throat> a morning NFL show. So that was difficult because I had to get in, come in at 4 a.m. on Sundays. And that's one schedule in this industry that I will never do again. I just can't do it. I can't function at 4 a.m. in the morning or being up at 3. And it was worse because Saturday nights I had to prep and I was getting out of there like 7, 8 o'clock. So that turnaround was crazy. Again, I love football so much that I got through it, but I did that for a year, and I was like, thankfully, I proved myself enough that I got off the show and got to another NFL show on Mondays, but I had started out doing that pretty much 4 a.m. shift every Sunday, and then that tight turnaround was killing me, but I think the difference with CBS was I really got a chance to be heard a little bit more. It was a little bit smaller. The sports group was a little bit smaller, so my ideas shined a little bit more. I was able to contribute to segments a little bit more. My ideas actually made it on air more times than not. So that was good. I had, you know, close relationships with the producers as well. So that was really the, the one thing I valued about CBS. Okay. Now, did you, um, when you worked there, did you have any familiar faces from ESPN? Yeah, actually one of my homies who had worked at ESPN was actually there already. So that, that made it good and comfortable for me to make a transition. Okay. Now, when you was um you was working on the shows, was you just, you know, just doing segments or you was doing like highlights or were you producing like montages? A little bit of everything. It was highlights, montages, there were um, you know, script writing for some of the the bumps and montages. Um and then segment ideas, coming up with questions for talent. So just a little bit of everything. So just a lot of the same stuff on ESPN, but I think just a more expanded role. Okay. I can imagine, you know, coming from ESPN and having that experience and having access to guys like uh, Hasselback helped you um, for that next role? Yeah, uh, absolutely. It was, it, was, it was easy to make that transition and kind of let my knowledge shine through, you know. The only difference with CBS, unfortunately, is I didn't get to interact with talent much because they were across the street at another building. And that's probably the one thing that was tough about it is I never got to really speak to a lot of the guys over there. Maybe once or twice I would go over there, but I never got that opportunity to. So that kind of sucked. But um, I still built good relationships with, with a few guys, so that, that was good enough for me. Okay. Now, did you get to um, did you get to travel with them? I did. I went to the Super Bowl in Atlanta, so that was my oh, first travel experience finally. Man, so what was that like? Oh man, I don't know if I could even say some of this stuff over the airwaves. Now, nah, but it was, um, you know, <laughs> some of the things I think working on a truck was the toughest part. I had never been on a truck before, and we were on there all day, man. I mean, we were on there from like 10 a.m. to almost 12 a.m. sometimes. I mean, we had our breaks in between. That was the wackest part, is just being on a truck all day. You know, I got to go to a few parties. You know, I, I just said, you know, screw it. I got to go do something. I can't be in Atlanta and not go to at least one party in Super Bowl week. So right. I, I, finessed, I finessed a few parties. <laughs> you know, I, I got through there. Um, 
but just traveling was cool, you know, having per diem and expensive stuff. I never had that life before, you know, being able to just buy food and expense it and have nobody say nothing to you. That's kind of a dope experience to have in this industry. Networking, of course. Being on a truck is tough, again, but, you know, it is what it is. That's the road life sometimes. you got to be on that truck all day. you got to put that work in. But outside of that, that was a good travel experience. Now you was doing uh, um you was doing like a lot of like uh, graphics producing and stuff and montages on the truck. Yeah, it was a little bit of everything. We did graphics, we did montages, we had to cut all the interviews, all the sound from opening night. You know the um not opening night, but you know where they had the yeah the uh, the press conferences on the field and they're talking to all the guys. So we had to turn all that stuff around really quickly, and we were have guests going through in and out, in and out. So we had to kind of just turn all of that stuff around and make sure it was running smoothly. Now, did you get a chance to go on the field at any point in time? I actually did um, before. You know, it was crazy. My, my past allowed me to get into the arena. Now, I left, stupidly, I left Saturday night. Why I did that, I have no idea. But I think I probably could have got access to the games in some capacity. But I did go into the field. I didn't get on the field, but I was on, like, the deck, the upper deck. So I was able to just kind of just look and walk around the arena and chill. But that was about it. But I wish I probably would have stayed till Sunday and went. But then again, coming back Sunday would have been a headache. So or Monday morning. So I'm, I'm kind of glad I did. Yeah. Now, Atlanta, was that uh, Patriots-Rams? That was Patriots-Rams, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, I know. So I did some work with um the I, local IBW union and my buddy Leo who hooked me up with it. He was went to that Super Bowl. Um but last year I went I covered the well, I've covered a few games. The best one was the Ravens Jets for obvious reasons, but mm. the thing was was just being out there and granted, well this, you know, I did CBS and Fox games, but the the fun part was being on the field during the games. You know, you seeing like I'm a Lamar Jackson fan, obviously, and to see him in person run is like amazing. But mm. the hard part is after the game when you got striking, you got to take all the cords and cables and then unplug the truck, put everything beneath. Like, man, that stuff be like <laughs> you be like, man, I it's thought I hard work. It's hard work, and I remember telling my dad. My dad was always about going he always his thing was he always worked hard so I didn't have to and what he meant by that was that I could essentially choose what I wanted to do so and I remember when I told him like the first night I did it and he was like wait what you doing and I said well you know we have to pack the trucks and this that, and other he said man well, you want part-time work you want to come where I'm at I said uh no because this is still sports <laughs> <laughs <laughs> you know and, and granted you lifting those heavy cameras man that's like you can't pick up by yourself like you just you just can't you know so yeah i'm good man that's i imagine like i said the super bowl experience was crazy um but after cbs man you decided to leave and you know you you are where you are now and that's spotify you talk about you know why to jump and why almost like you know kind of out of sports full-time into you know spotify yeah, well, actually, I'm still doing sports. I'm doing sports oh. podcasts. Oh, yeah, nice. So I'm still, I'm still, yeah, I'm still doing sports. You know, honestly, I think, because it was 10 years deep in television, mm-hmm. and I think my last year at CBS, I started to feel the burnout a little bit. And I was feeling like, what's next for me? What's going to be next? What's different? You know, as much as I love TV, you know, you get, you get tired. You know, you need a recharge sometimes. And so I had sort of position on LinkedIn and I applied. I was like, Spotify is doing sports? I didn't know that. Well, I was like, okay, I'll just apply. I didn't really hear anything back for months. I thought I had actually forgot about it. And then I got an email one day randomly like, hey, we got your resume. We want to interview for this position. I was like, yo. And this was months later. I had completely just given up on getting that spot. And, you know, I went on the interview, you know, the preliminary interviews with HR. And then, you know, I met my boss and we spoke and she's, she, you know, she spoke really highly of me. She, she enjoyed the conversations and she decided to give, take a chance on me. And so far, so good, you know? Yeah, man. So you, you get the chance to produce, you did, do you 
do you edit like the podcast or you kind of like help you know put them in the system without going into too much detail is that like like what you do now yeah so my job you know i'm not i haven't produced any pods yet but okay a lot of our job is kind of you know going through the landscape of finding new podcast talent is kind of like my job and you know finding because we want to do exclusive deals with people you know and so most of my job is kind of analyzing pitch decks you know people send me pitches all the time and i kind of go through them you know sit down with my boss and say hey i think this could work xyz we have some show planning you know when we're launching new shows we have to sit down as a collective and plan okay if you want to launch here here's a trailer that we want to do the podcast cadence should be this xyz it might be this long we want to make sure we're hitting these points so that's kind of like what my day-to-day is kind of like okay well man that's pretty cool um you know it's what would you say to people who like really want to work in sports but not sure if they should or not sure what they want to do or not sure how to get started yeah, first you have to have the passion for it. And that's easier said than done all the time. But if you're not passionate about it, you're not going to make it in this industry. Because there's so many guys that I started with that they left. They got out of it. They couldn't take it. I think one of the biggest things people need to realize is it's not going to be easy. The hours are growing. You've been through it. I've been through it. There's times where I wasn't able to enjoy my early 20s. I was always working. I missed out on a lot of holidays. Fourth of July, Christmas, Thanksgiving. I couldn't go spend time with my family because I was working. So you have to be prepared for those things. If you're not prepared for those things, then you might want to find another line of work. This isn't a nine to five job, unfortunately, until you make it to a position where it is nine to five. But most of the times you're going to be working obscure hours. You're going to be working long hours. And if you're not dedicated to it, if you don't you know, have the passion for it, it's not going to be for you and you're going to be miserable. So I think it's good now. I think there's a lot more positions for kids coming out of college. When we started, there really was no social media manager. They weren't those kind of jobs. They didn't really exist that as much now. And they're, they're so prevalent now. And so one of the things for a lot of kids that come out is they're so well-rounded now. I was talking to one of my mentees. She was like, hey, I know how to do the whole Adobe Premiere Suite and Photoshop and Illustrator and all. And I'm like, damn, I don't, I don't even know how to do some of those things. I've learned, but they're coming out well-rounded with everything. And so you have to ask yourself, what separates you from the crew? Because everybody has the same skills now. So, you know, if you're not passionate about it, if you're not being proactive in working your craft, everything is easy now. Every Our phone now is a computer. So if you're not recording your podcast on your phone to practice, or if you're not shooting video, if you're not doing reporter stand-ups on your own, you're losing. You should be doing that every single day to perfect your craft. You should be having that. You should be building up a portfolio on YouTube or video or whatever you want, your Twitter page. You should always be working on your skills and your craft to make sure that you're well-rounded and you're good. Because when you do apply for that job, everybody's going to have a skill set. What make, you know, what, what's going to separate you? And jobs want to see extracurriculars. They want to see how proactive you've been. They want to listen to your podcast or they might want to watch your YouTube videos and some of those things. So my advice would be work on your craft every day. It's easy. There's really no excuse. You have a phone. There's apps that you can do all of these things on. You can edit on your phone. You can do everything. So you should be working on your craft every single day and be passionate about it. Yeah, I'm glad you said that, man. Um, I know for me personally, I tell people, and they're so surprised when I hear this, when they hear this, and this was in 2013, when I tell them that I, during my, um, the car wash part of the interview at ESPN, I showed mm. them the wrestling realm and granted it looks way better now than it did then. But when mm. I showed it to uh shout out to Allison, I can't remember her last name, but she was the person I had spoke with. I, she got excited. And I was like, Oh, it's, you know, I told her, I said, this is the show I created while I was in college. Um, me and my buddy, we love to talk wrestling, but it also gave us those reps we needed to get better at producing content. And mm. she was like, wow. And I tell people that all the time. I said, your, your show or your piece of media, whatever you're doing is experience. It's important. And you just hit it right on the head. And I'm so happy you said that because they get to hear from a different voice than hearing me say it all the time. Um, right. I got, 
I gotta ask you this. The name of the show mm-hmm. is called Breaking Through the Glass Ceiling. When was the moment that you broke through the glass ceiling in your career? Making it to ESPN for me was that moment because it was a dream for so long. And I used to tell people, yeah, I'm going to be in ESPN one day. I'm going to be on TV one day with Stephen A. I mean, I didn't get there yet. You know, maybe one day I'll get there. But <laughs> that was that was my dream to be at ESPN. And so I didn't really have a plan on how to get there. I didn't know how I was going to do it. But everything just fell into place. So stepping through that door, look, too many people can't say that they made it to ESPN. A lot of people spend a career trying to get there. I made it right out of college, right after graduation, just months later. So mm-hmm. I'm always grateful for that opportunity. So that was definitely my breakthrough moment. And I'm still in the industry now. I'm still here. I'm still going strong and I'm still making moves. So that's, that's really a blessing. Yeah, Cash, man, I have to say, bro, you know, I'm proud of you. You know, I definitely appreciate you always when I was there in Connecticut, you know, always being a listening ear, always taking, you know, time out your day, whether it was to show me how to do a shot sheet, a run sheet, or even a moss sheet, or just being a listening ear when, you know, some of our HPs may have been getting on my nerves, um, <laughs> or, you know, whether you, no matter who you was with, you always spoke, you know, because there are people like that. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. they act like they don't know you, but, you know, or even if it was on the court, you know, you would say, well, man, why don't you next time box out a little bit more or do something, you know, put your body in a better position, you know? So I always appreciate that. And well, even now to this day, bro, um, you know, we no longer work there, but clearly we met a lot of people, but unfortunately you don't talk to people on a regular basis, but you know, you, your support means the world because you will take time out just to say, Hey man, just seeing how you doing, seeing how everything is, or like, Hey man, you know, I just shared your podcast and it always means a lot, man. When, you know, especially if it's like the wrestler show, people who, you know, might not be in a wrestling, but say, Hey, you know, this is something you're passionate about. So I'm going to share. So I just want to make sure, you know, Hmm. Now I'm about to cut you off, but just to go off your point real quick, that is one thing in this industry, especially being black, we have mm-hmm. to pay it forward. And that's something that I've prided myself in. Every stop that I've been at, I always got to pay it forward to somebody. There are a lot of people that they do get Hollywood and they forget about where they come from and their roots. And look, you can't mentor every single person. I get it. I used to feel that way. Why this person ain't reached back out and stuff. I get it. You can't always do it. But if I'm in a proximity to you as a young black man or woman, I'll always give an ear and say, yo, if you need anything, come holler at me. You know, and I think that that's something that's lost sometimes is people are not paying it forward. You should always try to lift as you climb and give people opportunities, tell people about things, help them network, help them, you know, tell them how to move properly. And that's one thing I've always prided myself on. So I, I appreciate you saying that. I wish more people would start doing it. I think, of course, with the climate now, I think a lot more people are going to say, hey, you need to wake up and do things differently, but always pay it forward. I don't care, even if you're a production assistant, I don't care if you don't make it to be an executive, a CEO, whatever, you can always help somebody that's coming up because the wheel is not going to stop. Kids are going to keep coming in from college, from seniors, and they come into the industry, and people are going to climb and do different things. Always got to just just give that lifting hand to somebody. So I, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, man. You know, I, I'll never forget, man. And, you know, we, a lot of times in work, this world, we don't give people their flowers while they live in. And, you know, that's what I feel is important. And I feel it's just important that people hear it, you know, to see, you know, that, you know what, Cash is a good dude. Cash will help you out. And, you know, I know you will. I've seen you, uh, just in NABJs, you know, talking to people, helping them out. And, you know, it's it's, it's definitely, I, I will definitely say, you know, the good Lord is going to continue to bless you, man. Nah, I, I appreciate that, brother, for sure, man. It's always good. Yeah, and let the people know where they can find you. Yeah, right now I'm on Instagram, Q in Juice, Q-I-N-J-U-I-C-E. My Twitter is CFLEM88, C-F-L-E-M-88. I've been kind of chilling on Twitter right now with everything going on, but yeah, I'm on both of those. So you can definitely hit me up if anybody wants to chat. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you heard what he said. Make sure you pay it forward. Appreciate it, brother. Appreciate it. 
ladies and gentlemen that will do it for this week's episode of breaking through glass ceilings i really hope you enjoyed that like i said before at the beginning cash is one of those people who lives breathes and sleeps keeping it 100 and that's the reason why i had to have him on this show so especially if you're out there you want to work in sports make sure you listen carefully to a lot of what he was saying because like he and many other people have said you think you know sports then you realize you really don't when you start sitting down with the analysts so learn the game if you want to work in sports next week i want to take a time take a break and look back at the first half of 2020 i'm going to discuss some of the episodes just talk about my thoughts feelings of what everything that's been happening so make sure you tune in subscribe to the podcast each and every place you get your podcast from whether it's apple google spotify stitcher we are there and remember this podcast is brought to you by produced and edited by b waters productions and the music is by hypno beats